in our community, following Jesus usually doesn't cost us much. That's not the case everywhere, right? But in our circumstance, usually being a Christian, and when we say following Jesus, we mean having put our faith in Jesus and living lives informed by that faith, right? Speaking as a Christian, acting like a Christian, responding to circumstances as a Christian, usually that doesn't cost us much. That's not the case in Sudan, Pakistan, China, or Canada, as we'll see later today. But this is exactly why we might be unknowingly capitulating to our culture. The fact that it's not that scary. Most of the time when you fly, you're not in danger. Statistically speaking, you're very safe when you fly. I was coming home from a conference last year, um, got on this flight with a couple other pastors, actually. We were coming home, and uh, it was like delay after delay after delay. You know, we get on this plane finally. It's the last flight of the day. I think it was out of Nashville. The pilot gets on, and he says, this is my last flight. I'm retiring to do my dream job. We're like, wait, this isn't your dream job? Wait, what? Okay. So, you know, it's sort of like, okay, whatever, let's go. And then he says, actually, there's an extra delay. we got to check some mechanical issues on the plane. Okay, fine, check the mechanical issues. So finally, we take off, right? And you take off, and once you're going, it's like, we're good, you know? And, and then the plane took off, and we only kind of climbed to like 10,000 feet, and then you just kind of stayed there. We didn't, you know, get on to where we were going. And, uh, and then he announces, and he says, uh, you know, we got a problem with the landing gear, <laughs> so we're going to go back and land in Nashville. And again, we're going, yes, let's do that. There's a problem with the landing gear, so let's land. That's, yes, let's do that, Right. <laughs> Uh, and I tease a little bit, but for many people on that flight, that was the scariest flight they had ever been on in their lives. And there was, you know, they're putting the pieces together, right? You could see everybody kind of doing the math, and we're all exhausted anyway. And it, it just brought up, I, I think, that moment of urgency where you're like, wait a minute. This is actually, like, this is like one of those things that you do, really don't want to happen. But it always potentially could happen, but normally it doesn't. And immediately you start to think about what matters most. This letter, the letter to Smyrna, is a a letter like that, where we're going to hear about circumstances that probably we won't face. Now, I say probably because, as we're going to see, our our culture is shifting, right? And that's one of the reasons why we're going through Revelation right now, is that the headwinds blowing against the church and against believers are getting stronger even in our culture. So we need to recognize that. But probably you're not going to go to prison for following Jesus. And probably you won't be executed for, for following Jesus. But just because that's not going to happen doesn't mean there is an urgency today to follow Jesus with all that we are. And so there's a a preparation that happens with this letter that Jesus gives to the church at Smyrna and also gives to us. Yes, some cultures kill by execution, by executing followers of Jesus. But other cultures kill with the slow death of slander and peer pressure. And so we are in, I think, the latter of those circumstances. We need to prepare to persevere by faith. How? Well, let's listen to this letter from Jesus that equips us to do just that. Picking it up in verse 8 there. Here, Jesus says to John, Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. Let me show you where Smyrna is so you can all sleep tonight. You know. 
here's Patmos, right, where John was in exile. We talked last week about the letter to Ephesus, Ephesus being the biggest town in Asia Minor at this time, uh, over 400,000 people, close to half a million. Smyrna, another port town, but much smaller than Ephesus. So it wasn't the big port, it was a, a smaller port. Um, Again, we'll, we'll see that there's a, a lot of uh, historical significance, perhaps, into what Jesus says to Smyrna, because Smyrna was a town that had, like, you know, in the glorious days. And so what happens uh, is in their town, they, their town almost, you could say, it had died and then come back to life, so to speak, in the history. And I'm not going to go over all the details for you, but just with that, that little nugget in your, in, your, uh, in your minds, watch again verse 8. So there's a church at Smyrna, and Jesus says to John, you need to tell this church, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. Now, as we saw last week, every one of these letters, these seven letters, will start with Jesus emphasizing a particular part of his character that was revealed in the vision in chapter 1. So Jesus revealed himself to John in chapter 1, and he'll, he'll take a particular aspect of that vision, and he'll use one of those for each of these seven letters. And so here he focuses on this statement that he is the first and the last. And just as a reminder, what does it mean that Jesus is the first and the last? This is a statement that clearly asserts his sovereignty over everything. From start to finish, beginning to end, alpha to omega, A to Z. However you want to think about it, there's a clear reference here to the fact that Jesus is Lord of the universe. And he is sovereign over all of it. So he's before it all, and he will outlast it. He is the first and the last. Secondly, he's the one who was dead and came to life. Not only is he sovereign over the entire universe, but also he's the one who took on flesh for us, who died for our sins, but who did not, in dying, he was not defeated. He did not lose, but instead he was victorious and he conquered death with resurrection. The, the truth, the historicity, the reality of Jesus' resurrection is central to the book of Revelation from start to finish. If you're going to prepare to live by faith today, you need to know that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so these two essential truths about Jesus are, are particularly relevant to the church at Smyrna and to us as we think about preparing to live by faith in the midst of persecution. Let's unpack these two essential truths. First, of course, Jesus is sovereign. And you might even just add to your notes there, he's sovereign over all, over everything. Now listen, if I tell you that Jesus is sovereign over all the good stuff, you're going to give me an amen, right? Yes, Jesus is sovereign over the good stuff, the good gifts that we have. Jesus is sovereign over the joy of a, a new baby being born and, and being healthy and coming into the family and the joy of a wedding celebration and the joy of the U.S. men's soccer team winning against El Salvador. Like, Jesus is sovereign over those things. And so we say, yes, Jesus is sovereign. Man, I love the good stuff. You know when you need to know that Jesus is sovereign, though? It's when it's not so good. The stuff that's not so easy. The stuff that's hard. And while we could certainly and should include in that all difficult circumstances that we face, the focus in this passage is going to be on persecution and pressure to compromise. So when Christians are in a situation uh, where they are being imprisoned or potentially executed, Jesus says to them, I'm the first and the last. Don't miss it. I'm over it all. And I haven't forgotten you. 
He is our good shepherd. And when we're facing circumstances where there's pressure from our family to not be so excited about following Jesus, where there's pressure at our workplaces to accept an a worldview, and to promote and to be happy about a worldview that is not consistent with what God calls us to in Scripture, when we're being pressured by our culture to call what is evil good, Jesus is sovereign over that. He's there. He hasn't gone anywhere. And when we object to his sovereignty, which means we register a complaint about how he's ruling the universe, you ever do that? There's a form online. You can do it. You can go in. You can like... Well, we don't do that. Well, we do it. We just don't fill out the form. In our attitude, we're bitter about what God has ordained for us to walk through. And we're angry. We have to put up with blank. And we, we can't believe we have to deal with this. And, all, you know, and so we get frustrated and we're angry. And ultimately, that anger is an objection to Jesus' sovereignty over our lives. But don't forget, he's the first and the last. He's in it all and over it all. When we object to his sovereignty... We assert our wisdom over his design. I see how you drew it up, Jesus, but let me offer a few suggestions for how you can improve this, right? Isn't that sometimes how we think? Well, it's not how I would have done it, Jesus. But when, when we're struggling, right, when we're, when we're frustrated with God because of what we're going through, we're asserting our wisdom over his design. Or perhaps we're asserting our morality over his goodness, it, go, it sounds like this. It's not right that this should be happening. And while we certainly affirm that there are many things that happen that aren't right, what we never question is that God is sovereign over it and will providentially push all of history for his good and glory. So who are we to tell God what is best to accomplish his glory? Are we that pure? Sometimes that sounds like, I could never believe in a God who, and you know, blank, like fill in the blank there. We've got to be careful about asserting our morality over God's goodness. When we object to Jesus' sovereignty, we assert our desires over his purposes. Sometimes it's not about all that. It's just, I just don't want to go through this right now. I just don't want to go through it. And we think that our desire should trump Jesus' purpose for us. The end game he has for us going through a particularly difficult circumstance. Listen, if you're going to persevere as a believer, okay, especially in circumstances where there's pressure to, to compromise and to walk away from that faith, you must have as a bedrock for your faith the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, that he is the first and the last. And when you're struggling with that, right, Jesus says, you need to look to me. And you need to take the focus off of your desires, your wants, your preferences, right? Your standards, and you need to look to me and look to my character. Because he is the sure and steady anchor. But secondly here, we also see Jesus revealed as the one who conquered death. Jesus conquered death. He has ultimately been victorious. So, listen, there's a temptation. Sometimes we uh, relegate the resurrection to once a year significance. But I love Easter. Easter's the best. Amen? Yeah, it's the best. So it's definitely the best. But sometimes we're so excited about Easter and celebrating the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday that we forget that the resurrection matters every other day. Right? 
It matters every other day. That's why we sing, when we sing in songs. We've got, we got resurrection songs every week. Don't tell anybody, okay? But like, that's how we, have, we sing about the resurrection all the time. Why? Because it matters every day that Jesus, the wording in verse 8, uh, he was dead and came to life. Now, this is especially important for us because it means that we're not only forgiven of our sins, but we are also called to follow Jesus in newness of life, following our risen Savior who is victorious. So, again, we proclaim that we are forgiven of our sins by faith in Jesus, absolutely. But you're not just forgiven to be forgiven. You're forgiven to follow our risen and victorious Savior. Like, that's the calling. And if he didn't rise from the dead then he wouldn't warrant our faith. If he didn't rise from the dead, Paul says in Romans 4, that we're not justified. We're not declared clean. So we, again, if we're going to be prepared to walk by faith, we've got to know not just that Jesus is sovereign because he is, but also that he conquered death and he actually did rise from the dead. Because of these truths and many others, but especially because of these truths, he is qualified to lead us into difficult circumstances. Watch verse 9. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. Let me just unpack that thought for a moment, okay? I know your affliction and poverty. Here, the term affliction, it, applies, it, it refers to or applies to uh, external pressure and Contextually, we'll see this is external pressure that is persecution. It may be unintentional pressure, but it's still pressure. So it's pressure from the outside causing problems for people because of their faith in Jesus. Okay, we'll unpack some of the specifics there, but it could have been job loss, could have been awkward situations with family, imprisonment, or in the most extreme cases, death. Okay, Jesus says, I know about that. And he's not meaning I, like, I'm aware of it. He's saying, I know you're going through that. I'm the first and the last. I rose from the dead. I am with you in the midst of your affliction. Now, if that's maybe more of an umbrella kind of a term, he says, I know your affliction and your poverty. This is where it gets kind of real because apparently Christians in Smyrna and other places in Asia Minor at this time in history, they were because they were refusing to worship the Roman gods and goddesses, because they were refusing to worship the emperor as a god, they were losing their jobs. And when they lost their jobs, they lost the contracts, that meant that they were now in positions of financial poverty when they hadn't been before. I want to be really clear about this. Their careers were sacrificed because of being believers in Jesus. We live in a country where, frankly... That is absolute crazy talk. In America, if you said, listen, you put your faith in Jesus, but you might lose your job. People would say, why would I lose my job over religion? Why would I risk money and finances and wealth and all the, all the happiness and prosperity that brings me? Why would I risk all that for a religion? I'll just find a new religion. Actually, better yet, we'll just keep Jesus. We'll just edit him. We'll just rewrite it a little bit. And so we live in a culture that worships money. And here Jesus says to the Christians at Smyrna, I know you lost your job because of me. John writes from exile at Patmos. I know that the bills are coming in and you can't pay them because of me. And Jesus is not just saying, I know. He's saying, I'm with you. So watch what he says. That. It's interesting how he says it. I know your affliction and poverty, but guess what? 
you are rich. At that point, I think the guy with the letter was like shaking it to see if there was something else in it. Like, he's like, wait a minute, is there something else? Did you forget the rest of the, there's something else in the delivery here? Uh, It's electronic transfer, we're good, we got, yeah, we got it, so. No, no. Jesus is saying, I know that because of following me, you've lost your jobs and you can't pay these bills and you are in positions of poverty, but spiritually you are rich and that trumps the difficulty that you're going through financially because of me. That is more important. We're going to circle back to this in a minute, but just, just realize and recognize here that the fact of our spiritual blessing in Jesus that changes or that actually equips us to endure real-life poverty, real-time poverty. He goes on in verse 9. He says, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Okay, so this is how this worked, all right? There was, there was generalized pressure in the Roman Empire, especially at this time, that, that, that said, listen, Christians can be tolerated kind of as long as they're willing to play ball, meaning they're willing to participate in the little worship of the emperor here or there, at least give money to the worship of the emperor fund, and like at least participate in their guild with their trade and worship the god or goddess that's relevant to their trade. So that was, that was the pressure that was coming from, from the government, okay, from the top. But then you also had community pressure, and there were Jews living in Smyrna who were very, they had rejected the claim of Jesus that he was the Messiah, and they did not like Christians. In fact, they were against Christians. Now, not all Jews are like this, so we certainly push back against any anti-Semitism. That's not the point here, but the fact is, historically, this is what the church was facing. And these Jews, they were claiming to be the real people of God, and they were reporting the Christians to the government. And so the reporting of the Christians to the government may have been what lost them their jobs. And so Jesus says, I know that you're being slandered by those who reject the Jews, who reject the claim that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, and just so we're really clear, Jesus says, they're not really God's people if they've rejected me. That's actually quite a claim. It's consistent with Romans chapter 2, 28, 29, where the Apostle Paul tells us that it's only those who've trusted in Christ who are actually the people of God. No, instead, they're, they're not a synagogue of God. They're a synagogue of Satan, which is a way that Jesus acknowledges that this pressure to uh, compromise, to reject Jesus, to, to just go with the flow of the culture, that is satanic pressure. Okay? It may not look very satanic or sound very satanic, but, uh, but it is. It's, it's an agenda of Satan to, to attack the church by attacking the individuals who make up the church, and he'll use slander to do it. And so, as we were saying earlier, yes, we might not face imprisonment yet or, or execution But slander? Oh yeah, we got that. That's happening today. And it's it's unfortunate, and I just, when you see it happening, especially as it happens in media, right? You'll see it in social media, you'll see it in the news outlets sometimes, or opinion pieces. Um, Just make no mistake that, especially when it comes to publications, that there are editors choosing to publish those opinion pieces because they agree with them, right? And so they're saying, we want people to think about the fact that you should not follow Jesus, at least not follow Jesus this way. And so the slander happens. Now, it happens generically like that, but also it might happen personally, where someone you know at your workplace, at your school, someone you know in your family even, a family member could slander you because of your faith. And what does Jesus say? He says, I know, I'm with you in that, 
and, and you're mine. You are my people. You belong to me. You see, here's the reality. When the pressure is on, earthly trials can't touch our spiritual treasures. Earthly trials can't touch our spiritual treasures. There's a significant focus here. In the midst of affliction, all these different kinds of distress that we could face because of our Christianity, or poverty especially, loss of job, financial woes, loss of reputation, cancel culture, right? Being canceled. You know the old word for cancel culture? It's shunning, right? It's not new. It's just got a new name. But it's the same thing, right? So when that happens to believers, when it might happen to us, the satanic pressure that pushes us to, to compromise, to give in, Jesus says, I know that you're going through that. I'm not unaware, and I'm with you in the midst of it. It's just like Exodus chapter 2, uh, verse 20, what is it, 5, the end of the chapter. Exodus 2, we get the explanation of Israel being in slavery in Egypt, and their situation has gotten really bad, and so they're, they're really suffering there as slaves in Egypt. And in Exodus 2, verse 25, there we read in the Word of God, God saw the Israelites, and God knew. End of sentence. Guess, guess what happens in chapter 3? God did something, right? God's at work. So when God says, I know what you're going through, he's not just saying, I'm aware of the circumstances. He's saying, I know what you're going through, and I am at work. And so, yes, you might be poor because you're a believer. <laughs> no, but seriously, you're rich. Like, you are rich. That earthly trial can't touch the genuine treasure that you have in Jesus. Ephesians 1 clarifies that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. You're not going to find that anywhere else. Again, in Ephesians 1, that with the riches of grace, God richly lavished those on us in Jesus. It's hard to get that translation right because it's just the words are so over the top. The riches of his grace are richly lavished on us in Jesus. It's like, whoa, that sounds good because it is good. Or in 1 Peter chapter 1, where we're told that our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We have an inheritance that nobody can touch that will never lose value like Bitcoin. Sorry, wasn't going to say it. I said it. All right. Right. And it's, it can't lose value. Right. It, it's going to eternally have value forever. It, it, can't, it can't erode. Listen, just, okay, we're going to go through hard stuff. It's going to happen. And you may lose money because of following Jesus. You may lose uh, status in, in, a, in a family, in a workplace, at school. Your reputation might take a hit because of following Jesus. But brothers and sisters, we are rich in Christ. And nobody can touch our inheritance. Nobody can touch those riches. You just don't realize how rich you are. Every year uh, when we're with my wife's family for Christmas, my father-in-law buys us um, a lottery ticket for Christmas. Which, because usually around that time, there's like a, it's like a pretty big, you know, pretty big jackpot. We have yet to win it. I, sh- I shouldn't say that. We won $4 this year. And uh, forgot to cash it in. Anyway, uh, but, but we haven't won yet. But there's always, always these stories told, and you're familiar with several of them, where someone has won the lottery and they don't know. And they're walking around with this ticket in their pocket, in their wallet, in their purse, you know, whatever. And, and weeks later, they finally find out that this whole time they've had these riches, they had no idea. Brothers and sisters, sometimes I think that's us. <laughs> like, we just forget the riches we have in Christ. 
And, and notice the context, though. Jesus says, these are hard times, and I know you're going through hard times because of faith in me, but don't forget how rich you are in me, Jesus says. Don't forget these blessings that you have in me. So he knows when our family turns on us. He knows when our neighbors get weird because we talked about Jesus with them. He knows when politicians turn on us and write laws that are intentionally slanted to give the church a hard time. He knows. And I don't know what kind of pressure you're facing today, but I know that he knows. And he's the first and the last, and he died and rose from the dead. You know, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4, where there the Apostle Paul tells us, so we do not lose heart, right? Why? Because these light momentary afflictions are securing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. All that money we want so bad, all that money that everybody's chasing, it's temporary. But the unseen is eternal. This is the stuff that lasts, Jesus says. And I I think there's a challenge for us because, again, in Smyrna, many of them had lost their jobs. They were experiencing poverty. We're We're not quite there just yet. But the fact is this, we live in a culture that thinks that riches are everything. And again, it it is ludicrous to think of losing money to follow Jesus. It just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. Of course, if that's our worldview, we've missed just how great our treasure is in Christ. So this spiritual treasure that we have, it makes temporary trials bearable. Yay? (laughs) Right? I'm not sure where to go with that. Like, Yes, we have this treasure that we will receive and it, we, no one can take it from us because it's, it's given to us by Christ and secured by his death and resurrection. Awesome. But that makes temporary trials bearable. Wait, what? <laughs> so that means now we may face, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's not a mistake or not a mystery, we will continue to face more difficult times for believers. And Jesus says, it's okay, I know. You're still rich. How should we respond then? Watch verse 10, which is just a remarkable verse. So Jesus says to us and to the church at Smyrna, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. That's the one we need on the t-shirts, okay? This is is the help we need. Whenever someone says, don't be afraid, you know why they say that? Because there's something scary that's going on. And we, we could, and maybe often we are, right? We're afraid. So Jesus says, don't be afraid what you are about to suffer. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? Well, he gets very specific. Watch verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. And pause right there in the middle of verse 10. Okay, Jesus says, the devil is going to throw you, some of you, into prison. And so, um, now how does Jesus know that that's going to happen? It's not only because he's sovereign the first and the last. He gave the devil permission to do it. Did you know that Satan is on a leash and, dog, uh, and God is the one holding that dog's leash? God is the one holding, holding that leash. It's just like with, with, uh, with Peter uh, in Matthew 23. You know, 
Jesus tells Peter, he says, or Luke 23, Jesus tells Peter, you know, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So I'm praying for you, man. <laughs> That's what he says. And I think Peter's like, wait, what? You didn't say no? No. Wait, Satan asked permission to throw some of the Christians in Smyrna into prison? And Jesus didn't say no? Because he will use that trial for their spiritual good, even though it may be to their material, right, the material suffering. Physically, it may be very hard for them. Financially, it may be very hard for them. But he's got a bigger agenda, and that is spiritual growth. And if it takes Satan throwing Christians in jail to help us grow spiritually, Jesus will do that. He will allow that. This verse is a cold bucket of water. It is a wake-up verse. And guess what he, he says? Don't be afraid. He says for 10 days. Now listen, he's about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you'll experience affliction for 10 days. There's debates. Is it literally just 10 days for Smyrna? Like 10 days of imprisonment? Maybe. Okay, maybe. Uh, some scholars think that the 10 days is like a symbolic number. That like it's going to be a it's going to be a chunk of time that that they're going to suffer. And you know, I mean, it's limited time, but it's going to be a chunk of time. So that that's going to happen. The fact is, it doesn't really matter either way. Uh, here's the reality: the believers that were in Smyrna were supposed to take this and to, to take the instruction. And say, well, you may be in prison for 10 days or 20 days or 100 days or whatever. You, you may suffer for your faith. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I died and I rose from the dead. Don't be afraid. He goes on, verse 10. Not just the, telling them about this experience. They're going to be thrown in prison. But he says, be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Wait a minute. So Jesus is saying to the Christians in Smyrna, some of you are going to die for your faith. You're not going to live to a ripe old age. You're going to get to meet the grandkids. Walk your daughter down the aisle. You're not going to get to experience all the things that you want to experience in life. Jesus says, some of you are going to die. And it's okay. Be faithful unto death. We struggle to have a category for this in our culture. But Green Palm Bible Chapel, we must, we must take this challenge this calling from Christ and we must embrace it. We we need to be able to articulate sentences like this. I will follow Jesus even if it means relational awkwardness with my family or friends. I will follow Jesus even if it means losing favor in my workplace. I will follow Jesus even if it means losing my job or taking a pay cut. I will follow Jesus even if it means going to prison. That doesn't happen today. Canada, they just passed this law. C4, okay, it criminalizes any formal counsel given to someone uh, to suggest to them that heterosexuality is the norm and what is good and best for them. It criminalizes anybody who gives that counsel. It criminalizes anybody who advertises for that counsel. It criminalizes 
criminalizes anybody who pays for somebody to get that counsel. It criminalizes you if you take someone across the border into the United States so they can receive that counsel. I'm willing to follow Jesus, even if it means I will go to prison. I'm willing to follow Jesus and be faithful unto death. It probably won't come to that, but, that, but only probably. And as we dial it back, right, this is the extreme circumstance. Be faithful to the point of death. And, well, why? Why should we be faithful to the point of death? Because Jesus is the first and last, because he did die, and he, he is alive again. He rose from the dead, and he says, I will give you the crown of life. What is the crown of life? The crown of life is that blessing, that, that, that inheritance, that provision, that satisfaction that everybody wants. It's that ultimate pleasure forever. The peace and rest. That's what everybody, every person who has ever been born is chasing this. And Jesus says, I give this out because I'm the one that conquered death. I'm the one that can give you this pleasure forever. And so for you, watch it now, for you to follow me and be faithful and pay the price in this life, even to the point of an untimely death, you don't lose in that game. You win. You win. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And frankly, we live in a culture where there's just been this slow drip of pressure to basically, uh, medi- basically to, to cause our Christianity to be just mediocre. So you know what? I'm fine with you follow Jesus up to a certain point. Like, that's kind of how we think. Follow Jesus up to a certain point, but don't go crazy. You know what the church at Smyrna was told? Go crazy. Don't be afraid. You might be in prison, you might die, but don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Be faithful unto death. That's the calling. And Jesus says, why would I? Well, you you should because you have the crown of life coming to you. And you know that that is what matters most. That, that, That satisfaction in Christ will outlast any other pleasure that we are tempted to chase. So then we get to verse 11 which is the, the concluding line for the letter, and it's the, you know, kind of the regular pattern we'll get into, where he says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, including you and me. The one who conquers, who overcomes this temptation, right? The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. The second death we find out in Revelation, that's the lake of fire, eternal judgment, separation from God forever, eternal suffering. That second death can never touch you as a believer. Praise God. Amen? Yes? This is the good news we have. But guess what? The first death can touch you. And Jesus says, it's okay. The first death can touch you because the second death has nothing on you. So here we are. We're going through this passage, right? And we learn something very clear. And I would just phrase it this way for you. Because Jesus lives, we can be faithful unto death. Because Jesus lives, we can be faithful unto death. Probably, you're not afraid of dying for your faith. Okay. What are you afraid of? Maybe, maybe you'd confess, I'm struggling to trust Jesus today. Because I'm afraid of being canceled I'm afraid of how they'll think of me at work, at school. I'm afraid of people finding out just how serious I am about Jesus. I'm afraid of actually losing my job. Like, that would mess me up, Pastor Ryan. Like, I, 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 I have bills. 
I'm afraid of causing drama in the family. I'm afraid of the awkwardness that will result. And you see, I think what Satan's done in our culture is he's just made the situation where it's just blah. Like, there's no urgency to it. You don't have to, you don't have to really commit to follow Jesus in most cases. So you know what? Just make compromises. Listen, it's just a little money for the emperor's worship fund. That's all it is. Everybody else is watching that show, Netflix. It's just a show. I gotta just watch that. Listen, it's just, you don't have to be so hard line about all this, you know, the sexual purity and the puritanical way of whatever, only having sex with your wife. Like, no, like, just, just back off a little bit. Just let, let people do what they want to be happy. Just back off. What we fear will cause us to compromise. And that's why we're called to overcome. Overcome that temptation. So if you're struggling with fear, what should you do? This is where I think the structure of these letters is so helpful. Helpful. When you're struggling, don't wander far from God's word. What we need to know about who Jesus is, is given to us. And here, right, Jesus says to us, I'm the first and the last, and I was dead, and now I'm alive. So we think on his sovereignty, and we think on his, his victory in the resurrection, right? And we say, those are the truths about Jesus that I need to cling to when I'm afraid, when I'm struggling when I fear this persecution. And frankly, maybe this morning, talking about following Jesus to the point of death, maybe you're here, you're watching, you're thinking, there is no way, because I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I would never do that. And if, if that's the case, I just want to encourage you with the warning that comes with this passage. And that is that for those who have not trusted in Christ and are not connected to him by faith, They have to fear not only the first death, but the second death. And there is no crown of life. There's judgment by God for sin. And so there's this kind of moment here, a watershed moment in a sense, where Jesus says, hey, church at Smyrna, listen, if you're going to follow me, it's going to get real bumpy. But I'm the first and the last, and I rose from the dead. So you're okay, and I've got you. Because I'm alive, Jesus says, be faithful unto death. For you this morning, I would encourage you to maybe substitute death there with whatever that struggle is that's most challenging for you today. Be faithful unto relational awkwardness. Didn't sound as catchy, so I didn't put it in the notes like that, but, you know. Be, Be faithful unto potential job transitions. Be faithful to being a political outcast. Be, be faithful to whatever, whatever the cost might be for you, wherever there's pressure, right, from the culture to compromise. You say, I can be faithful unto that point because Jesus died and rose from the dead. What are they going to do? Kill us? If it comes to that, we're good. We're covered. And we will receive the crown of life. You see, we conquer culture by knowing it's not death for us to die that Jesus has a purpose for our suffering. Here's where I think this passage really hits us. The Christians at Smyrna, they were standing out. And Jesus is like, okay, you're standing out. Good job. Keep after it. Did you notice there's no correction for this church? There's no correction. It's just, hey, don't fear. Follow me. You may die. I've got you. That's the deal, right? They were standing out. My concern in reading this passage today is most Christians in our culture don't stand out at all. We're just like every other American. We just we we chase the same stuff. 
We, we, don't, we, we, we uh, affirm the same views. We don't, we're, we're just not different enough. We're too camouflage in this culture. And in one sense, this passage just challenges us and says, listen, if you're really going to follow Jesus, you inevitably will stand out. Hopefully, it doesn't result in imprisonment and death. But if you're not standing out, you need to ask the question, wait a minute, why am I not standing out? Is it because I'm more concerned with going with the culture than I am with following Christ? I wonder if we're just loving money, sports, status, all the rest of that stuff more than Jesus. And it's Smyrna they had to choose. And Jesus says, choose me. Choose me, I've got you. The Christians in Smyrna would need this within one generation. Here's the historical fact. Eighty-one fifty-four. 12 Christians in Smyrna were executed by the government. We don't know if there were others that were killed before then. That's probably like, that's probably at least 60 years after Revelation, maybe even more, depending on when you date uh, the writing of this book. But here's the fact. We know by 154, at least 12 Christians died for their faith. And maybe they thought, it'll never get this way in our culture. We're an educated Greco-Roman society, we'll never get there. Well, it got there. And Jesus prepared them for that. In fact, the guy who was a bishop over the church at Smyrna at that time, the main pastor, his name was Polycarp, okay? And so he was put in an awkward spot because the government was killing Christians. They didn't like what he was doing in pastoring that church. So he had to make a choice. So he decided to commute. He moved out of the town, out of the borders of the town, and was living out in the, kind of in the boonies. And then he was basically just coming to town to minister and then going back home, right? And so um, that worked for a while. And then eventually they got savvy to that. And they were like, no, 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 we're not going to let this guy get away with this. And the policy of the day was that Christians weren't to be sought out. But if they wouldn't participate in worship when they needed to for public ceremonies, then they should be punished. And so they said, this pastor, he's the problem. He's why we had, these, had to execute these other 12 people. He's the issue. And so uh, he had a slave who turned, him, who turned in, uh, who basically kind of narked on him and gave up his location. The slave was tortured by the authorities, according to the, to the legend here. And, um, and they gave away the, the position. So the Roman soldiers came to uh, arrest him. And Polycarp says, hey, can we, this is, Again, this is what we have in the, in the documents. But he says, hey, can I, can, we, can I pray for you? So he prays for the Roman soldiers who came to arrest him. And he says, amen. And then he says, hey, do you guys mind if I, I got a meal I made for you guys. Do you mind if we sit and eat? And he served them a meal. And then they took him. They took him to the stadium in Smyrna where he was publicly presented as a joke. Where he was accused of being a menace to society where what he was doing that was good was called evil, and he was sentenced to death. And they tried to burn him, but apparently it had rained, and they couldn't get the wood to light, so they settled for just stabbing him. And he died that day, eighty-one fifty-five, faithful unto death, having lost nothing, because he died more wealthy than any of those who executed him. It reminds me of the song that some of us know. It was written actually originally in French back in the 1830s. The title of it is, It Is Not Death to Die. 
And I think this is, these are the thoughts that had to have been encouraging uh, Polycarp, those 12 other believers, and others throughout the ages who have followed Jesus faithfully unto death. And I just wonder if we're ready to walk that same road with them. Here are these words. It is not death to die, to leave this weary road, and join the saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears, and wake in joy before your throne, delivered from our fears. Jesus, thou Prince of life, thy chosen cannot die. Like thee, they conquer in the strife to reign with thee on high. Because Jesus lives, we can be faithful unto death. Because he was, and he rose again. Would you pray with me and we'll ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for these challenging words in Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. And Lord, we confess that maybe we've been lulled into a false sense of security because of our culture. And we thank you for the religious freedom that we have enjoyed for so many years as a nation. And Lord, we thank you for the influence that Christianity has had on this nation in the past. What a blessing that is. But Lord, we ask that you would prepare us to walk by faith no matter what. And Lord, as we look at our circumstances, we realize it may not result in imprisonment or or death in, in our current status, but Lord, at the same time, we are faced with our own challenges. The pressure to water down our faith because of what others will think of us, because of loss of face, Lord, maybe even financial loss. And Lord, we ask for courage. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see you in your glory, revealed as the first and the last, the one who was dead and now lives. Lord, may your sovereignty and your victory over death, may it bolster us when we're tempted to give in. And Lord, we confess that many days we're afraid. But Lord, help us to not fear. Help us to put one foot in front of the other, Lord, to to just do the next thing that you call us to do by faith, trusting in you. And Lord, help us to know in the midst of all this that even if it means being faithful unto death, that we will receive the crown of life because you have secured it for us. Lord, help us to know that even if we end up poor, we are rich, and no one can touch our heavenly inheritance. And so, Lord, we just pray for courageous faith to trust you, Lord, even if it means being faithful unto death. Lord, help us to be a shining light in the midst of a dark world. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.